name is Casey Must. I'm the owner and founder of Citizen Yoga, and you are listening to After Class. After Class is our podcast where we bring on a variety of guests to further our mission to improve mental health across our communities, across our country, across the world, and prevent suicide through personal growth, education, and hopefully some transformation. If you haven't checked out our on-demand platform, we have our own app. It's seven-day free trial, $18 a month, and mental health resources on there. You can get a free consultation through Blend Health if you are struggling with anything, depression, anxiety, um, hoping to normalize um, our own struggles so that we can move through them. Today, I am so excited to have a guest from one of my favorite areas of the country, um, Albuquerque, but really Santa Fe and New Mexico are I some of the most beautiful areas that I have personally visited. And um, Avery is coming to teach at Citizen Yoga. Avery, is it June 17th? Yes, June 17th online. And um, I'm going to let them tell you all about their work and their efforts and their intentions. So welcome to our podcast. Yay. I am really, <laughs> truly delighted to be here. Mm. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Avery. My pronouns are they, them. Yeah, I'll be offering a workshop. It's actually Wednesday evening, the 16th. You can oh, join so from so any time zone. It's on, <laughs> online. Um, it's a three-hour workshop on embodying non-duality with a focus on queer and trans inclusivity um, mm. is a piece of that. So very excited for this workshop and the bigger counterculture shift happening in the yoga world right now in general towards, um, yeah, towards, towards really a yoga culture that is more reflective of what yoga is all about, right? <laughs> like integration, yeah. anti-oppression, um, healing, justice. I think these things are all inherently woven into yoga. So very excited for this conversation, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God. Well, of course, I'm not the expert in our dates and times. Somehow I messed up our own workshop, which is very funny and so me. So this is the most authentic you will get from all of us. <laughs> you know, um, before we started, but I think it's important for us to share publicly our intentions for this podcast. So Avery, if you want to share with our listeners your intentions for our conversation and where we're going to go. Sure. Um, my intention for our conversation is to create some clarity and inspiration and affirmation for you all as yoga practitioners and maybe as yoga teachers or teacher trainers to feel more empowered and excited about unpacking identity in a way that creates more deeply welcoming and inclusive spaces for everyone. Mm. I'm really passionate about anti-assimilation in yoga spaces. There's a lot of conversation about inclusivity, and I think it's always important with that to look at what is making the space exclusive to begin with, <laughs> because otherwise yeah. our spaces would be diverse, right? And so I think it's right away, I just want to say, I think it is useful to think of this as both inner work and outer work. 
yes, there are practical things we can do to make the space more welcoming, and we'll talk about that for sure. Also, there's this inner piece of interrogating how our own attachments to identity and to uh, social location and where we may need to feel into and explore and ultimately free ourselves from social conditioning, that is also a key piece. Because if we want people that are different from us, that have a different life experience to feel welcome in our yoga spaces, we can't expect them to just assimilate into the culture that's already there. We need to look at, oh, how how can we actually shift the feel and the culture and the way that we relate to each other so that people can really come as they are without having to put on armor or put on a mask or act and talk and dress in a certain way in order to just take a yoga class. Those are things we don't always think about if our own identities are um, affirmed in, in say, a, a sort of your average mainstream yoga space. So I'm very excited to explore all of this and more today. But my yeah. intention is to mostly just speak from the heart, share um, the truth that is alive in me at the moment, and create a connection with you all, all you listeners, um, and with you, Casey. Yeah. Thank you so much. And my intention for today is to continue listening, continue learning, um, and really hold space for this conversation which is uh, so, so relevant, so important. And, um, you know, in our philosophy classes, we've been discussing race and ethnicity, which again is, is one part of the conversation. And then, you know, even just inclusive language, um, understanding gender norms. It's really, I think I'm deeper, like the deeper conversation is really like, how can you do spiritual work without inclusion work? And, um, how it's really our obligation as spiritual seekers to explore non-duality. That is the whole point of yoga. And Avery, you and I have spoken about, about that and hope, I hope to get into that. Oh um, yeah. But if we're, if we're, spi- yeah, if we're spiritual seekers, how can we claim to be spiritual if we aren't thinking and acting, let's say thinking and acting beyond social media. So um, I want to loop back. This is a maybe little known history <laughs> lesson. If you're not queer, gay, LGBTQ plus, or even if you are, there was really a movement. The gay rights movement began with the most marginalized folks with black and Brown trans women, um, who were also experiencing other forms of systemic oppression, um, Mm. poor, disabled, like really from the margins, from that deeply, I think, precious and gorgeous perspective, from the margins is where the movement for gay liberation started from, which culminated um, a big moment, of course, with Stonewall, which was 50 years ago. And at that point, the goal was really to create large scale shift in culture and in society so that everybody, every person in the LGBTQ plus umbrella would have rights, protections, respect, dignity, access to having a good life. And unfortunately what happened is with 
that that initial spark some people especially cis white already somewhat privileged gay men and lesbians started to push for rights protections dignity through assimilation and because they had um, a bigger voice and money and privilege they were able to sort of push the movement of gay liberation towards assimilation which means the agenda became more uh, proving that we are just like you. We just want to get married and live in a nuclear family with a white picket fence. The gay agenda became very much about joining the military, being able to, to join the military, being able to get married. And in the mainstream, you know, if you think about gay rights, that's what a lot of people think about. It's like, oh, the right to marry. But that was never the original vision. The original vision was whether you're married or not, whether you want to have kids and a family in the traditional way or not, we deserve rights, protections, and to mm. be cherished. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, what happened with that assimilation style uh, gay rights movement is it left out so many people, right? Mm -hmm. Especially trans people, because trans and non-binary folks by nature are not going to fit easily into the boxes that society has created. And the real loss, and this is where it really gets juicy, I think, the real loss is that that movement to question sort of the one right way of having a family or having a relationship or having a gender or being in love with someone, those constructs, those heteronormative, cis-normative constructs are really crappy for everyone. They really restrict all of us. So even if you are a straight person, even if you are a cis person, there's nothing wrong with that. But you too don't wanna be restricted and have your relationship and have how you live and how you show up in your body. Like you don't wanna have that stuff restricted by those cultural norms either. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like a big loss. Like that was really a moment when there could have been this shift that would have been good for everyone, but instead, I think out of fear and out of um, this focus on individualism, instead it became more about um, joining the military and, mm. and being able to marry, right? And so when I say anti-assimilation, it's really a nod to those uh, transcestors and ancestors and the intersectional reality of the movement for gay and trans rights and liberation. And it really is something that still is alive in our spaces now, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of um, yoga spaces are pretty welcoming and accepting for someone who fits into those who has, say, assimilated. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, mm -hmm. in a lot of yoga culture and beyond, if you hold a marginalized identity, but you're able to assimilate into mainstream culture, into say white culture, if you're a person of color, into hetero culture, if you're um, queer, into cis-normative culture, if you're trans, like if you assimilate, you're really rewarded for that. You are uplifted, you're, you're given awards in, in a metaphorical sense and sometimes literal where um, people sort of respect you and, and, and treat you differently if you sort of like play that game. And we're all in some dance with this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But 
like, what would it look like to just be aware of, oh, like, what are the ways that I have been pressured to assimilate that actually mean that I don't get to be my full, complete, integrated self? Because mm -hmm. there's a cost for assimilation that shows up as um, imposter syndrome and shame and just feeling not yourself and and like anxiety and depression to tie it into the mental health awareness month and, and the vision of citizen, you know, like these, that, that pressure to assimilate at the cost of actually being who you are is quite a high cost. It's a high mm -hmm. price to pay. Mm -hmm. And so as we enter into that conversation, I invite all of you to just consider that piece when we're talking about inclusivity and when mm -hmm. we're talking about, um, meeting people where they're at and, mm -hmm. and hopefully creating a space that, that cherishes and celebrates who we are, including our differences, right? Like we don't mm -hmm. all have to be the same. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and it's not that we have to like prove how special and sparkly and different we are either. It has nothing to do with that. It's more like what would a space or a community or a culture look like where there's no value given that's higher. There's no hierarchy given whether or not you hold various characteristics, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like how can, we, how can we get rid of that hierarchy? Mm. <laughs> that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, it's all different pain um, of acculturation and assimilation. Um, and I, that, that's something that we explore that we're currently exploring actually in our philosophy discussion, which is like, well, what is acculturation and, and why is that painful for all races, ethnicities, people um, taking on dominant cultural values um, and how we, that puts us in these boxes. Um, I, I always think of it, you know, one of the big things that I think the pressurization of, you know, when you have kids, it's probably the most, one of the most talked about, norms, um, and, and, and pushing against, um, some of these or not having children or, you know, like all of right. these decisions, um, that there's so much judgment and concern. And, and I think actually fear, I'm, I'm currently writing a blog about this, like the projection of other people of their fear on you for you to stand out because that's so uncomfortable in how that makes them feel and how that affects their life. Uh, and so I, I can, I, I love how you frame that because I don't know if I've ever reflected in that way, um, about, um, the movement about mm. assimilation. And so that was, that was, to me, that was extremely profound. Like, oh yeah, if you do fit in, then you are accepted. And even with that, there's then everybody on the outside, which is, you know, I always say there's no such thing as friend groups in my life. Um, I think friend groups indicate that then there's somebody outside of your friend group and then it's exclusive. Mm. So how can you eliminate this concept of friend groups and squads and how painful that is for people? But really it's just our fear of being lonely and alone and excluded that then creates this, if you will, overly inclusive space that actually is equally as exclusive. I don't know if you followed that, but that was... No, absolutely. That has been my personal... Yeah, we all have such a deep need for belonging. I think yeah. that drives so much and, and ultimately is exploited by capitalism. 
Mm-hmm. And one reason yoga is so awesome, it can really give us a sense of belonging and a sense of self that is not connected to how useful we are to, um, you know, the capitalist machine or, mm-hmm. um, or how much we consume, right? Mm-hmm. I want to share this Rupi Carr poem. It just came to mind. Mm-hmm. It was when I stopped searching for home within others and lifted the foundations of home within myself, I found there were no roots more intimate than those between a mind and body that have decided to be whole. Mm. I just love that. I love that. Which very much speaks to me, um, to the non-binary journey, right? Mm. Can I ask you um, a really quick question before we go into that, which is, you know, to you, what makes... I know to me what makes places exclusive, um, but are there, you know, sort of not in a pointed finger way, uh, it could also just be more theoretical, but what makes something exclusive in your mind? Cause you had mentioned these two things, um, in tandem. Sure. Um, well, maybe I'll just do a brief introduction. We've launched right in, I know. Um, but just so folks know who. Oh I yeah. We haven't in even introduced you. I really. You're, we got so deep. We got so deep so fast. So right I'm so sorry. I love it. No, I usually I remember. It. Okay, go ahead. Um, Please. But my my way of answering this is very much going to be influenced by where I hold privilege and where I don't. Right. Mm-hmm. My social location is that um, I'm white. <laughs> I'm queer. I'm a non-binary person. I'm a settler. Um, I live in. Albuquerque on unceded Tewa land. So this geographical location and the culture here certainly influences what my experience has been doing yoga. Um, And I've been around a lot of different yoga spaces. I've been involved with yoga since the late 90s and teaching um, since 2004. I teach Iyengar yoga, such a beautiful, powerful lineage Um, And so a lot of the spaces I've been in have been already kind of fringy in terms of being these nerdy alignment-based spaces. Um, But I've gotten to practice with all sorts of different communities and all, you know, a a wide range there. Um, And and my approach to yoga is really rooted in anti-oppression. I'm interested in how yoga as an inner healing modality can help catalyze us in our work for collective liberation. That's really juicy for me. And I'm really interested in spaces for that healing that are anti-assimilation, where we can really come as we are and where queer and trans folks and outsiders and change makers and people who are just outside the box can can really um, be centered in, in yoga practice. That really lights me up. Um, and I'm, yeah, I just love functional anatomy and, and the deep work, the embodied spirituality, um, stability work, yoga sutras, all that, all that good stuff. So that's a little bit about where I'm coming from. Oh my God. And, thank you for doing that. I, oh, sure. I went so deep into our conversation that I missed your general introduction. Oh no, it's all good. But I thought, oh, I'll just put that here. Which is to say, like, all of that stuff frames how I show up in a space, right? So as a white person, I 
for a long time felt pretty comfortable in spaces that were almost all white. I, I'm not so much anymore. Um, so, so for instance, that will really affect how I answer this. From the perspective of being a non-binary person, from being a queer person, um, a lot of times I would just tuck that away a little bit and sometimes mm. even costume up <laughs> to sort of blend in a little more mm -hmm. in order to be in a yoga space so that I wouldn't have to deal with people's awkwardness. When you hold <laughs> some bit of marginalized identity, it's just this ever-present thing where you feel like an outsider, which is such a bummer. And especially if you're going to do a practice that's about integration and healing and embodiment, that's the opposite of, um, of feeling like fragmented or an outsider, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so that's been a piece where I've almost stepped in to play a certain role in some spaces just so that I could fly under the radar and not have to deal with people's awkwardness. But again, that, that um, price is really high. We don't realize, but just in the way, like who is affirmed, who is uh, welcomed, who kind of fits in and has that sense of belonging often comes at the cost of like a whole bunch of other people not belonging, right? And so that mm -hmm. exclusivity so just a few basic pieces too, like if I walk into a yoga space and there's um, a gender neutral bathroom, that's awesome for me. If I walk into a space and I see another queer person and especially another trans non-binary person, that's huge for me. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, good. At least there's someone else here. So if something weird happens, I won't be totally alone. Like not a guarantee that they will be a support, but we kind of, there's often this quiet camaraderie of like, okay, cool, I'm not the only one. Um, if someone addresses the group using really gendered language, that just makes me cringe. It makes me completely um, pull back, almost like a little dissociation where then I have to like work to come back into myself and into the body. And it, and it shows me that like, oh, this is not a space really where I can totally be myself. So simple things like that, um, being misgendered just is a bummer, right? Like it just feels like this heavy, um, tension, this moment of like tension in my body. And then it's like, mm -hmm. okay. Um, so how, you know, if, but in, and then in contrast, if someone uses my correct pronouns, I feel this like happiness, this glow of like, mm. oh, sweet. That just feels so good. <laughs> and if you have not been misgendered a lot, that's something to look at. Like, oh, that's, mm -hmm. that's a form of privilege, right? Um, that you might not think about if, if you haven't been misgendered. And it, it's tricky, right? Because it's some folks listening might, and this is very common, which is why I say it, they might be like, oh, well, I don't care what gender people use for me. Like, you can call me whatever. Uh, it's, it's not quite so. I mean, I think mm -hmm. it's one yeah. thing to say that, but if you are, if someone is reading you and um, identifying you and labeling you as something that you really, really are not, and that carries with it a whole like lifetime's worth of, uh, of baggage, <laughs> then right. it's not such a lightweight thing, right? Like mm -hmm. it's easy if you're in a place of privilege to sort of be like, well, why does this matter so much? Like as a white person, you know, folks might be like, why, why is everything so much about race? Or 
thin people might be like, oh, why so much about like fat positivity? And we don't realize how much the world is affirming us being in spaces, being um, elevated because you're seen as the norm. Mm -hmm. That veil <laughs> of avidya, it needs to be lifted in order to really explore this, uh, this inclusivity piece. Mm -hmm. Because then we can, we can have compassion. We can see people. We sort of know, oh, yeah, we are dealing with these things. We're in relationship. We are uh, connected in community through these different um, locations, right? I think we can mm -hmm. actually connect with people more mm -hmm. instead of connect with our projections of them and our own inner shame and awkwardness. <laughs> like That's mm -hmm. what happens if you don't unpack some of this right yeah um, but if you do then it's like oh cool then we can then we can connect what a precious thing yeah dr parker uh, this morning when we were reading her book one of the things she talks about and i'm going to read something from her book um it's chapter oh man five i think in my kindle it's 132 but it says in the 21st century the term white privilege has taken on different meanings and sometimes declared as a proof of, in quotes, wokeness and worn as either a badge of honor or as a source of shame. At other times, it's used as an explanation, apology, or excuse for being unaware. The term has become a trope, and when used as proof of wokeness or shame, either way, the term becomes a form of self-aggrandizement. It is enough for one to be aware that there are skin color privileges associated with light skin without having to announce one's awareness of it by using the term as a descriptor or demonstrate one's, in quotes, awakeness. When used as an apology or an excuse to explain a lack of awareness or to try to explain the failure to take appropriate action when necessary, it suggests that ignoring skin color hierarchy is merely a mistake and not a choice. But understanding that it is a choice, and this is part of what we're talking about, hopefully, which is it's not just it's it's not about even announcing your privilege, it's internalizing it. It's understanding that there is a choice around how much you learn about these topics and how much you choose not to learn once you realize that these topics exist. Once you realize that there are ways for you to be more inclusive um, and there are ways that you act consciously and unconsciously exclusively and how do we take this as a way to improve what's happening uh, all around, which hopefully... Um, becomes more of the norm. But I think as people listen, it's again, not to just shame yourself uh, because of, you know, who you are naturally, but really to become aware of certain things that have been afforded to you because you were born a certain way. And now it's not about shaming that. It's about really becoming aware of other people's journeys and opening it up, which I, I, I hope that that res well, maybe it does or it doesn't resonate. I'm not sure, but that's how yeah, no, um, I've been tossing uh, it around a little bit. Yeah, this is, this is really an important piece. Um, and it's leads back in my mind to the importance of embodiment because it's mm -hmm. really working with our nervous system and being able to regulate and notice mm -hmm. when shame is up. And then yep. what we tend to do when we're coming from a place of shame or fear, um, that is our work to do. And, Love it. and in that way, this inclusivity work is not just for others. It's really mm -hmm. like 
how do you fully include yourself in your own life? <laughs> because we all carry aspects of ourselves that we have shame around, right? Mm-hmm. And what would it be like to let go of the shame and also let go of identifying with that stuff so strongly. I mean, that's really what yoga gives us Mm -hmm. an opportunity to do. Patanjali says in the very beginning, that's really what it's about. Like it it shines a light on the fact that we do have this choice between identifying with the interpretations of the mind and Shyam Raghunatham, uh, is a a doctor, a scholar, amazing philosopher who has some wonderful um, philosophy lectures through Yoga Alliance you can find on YouTube that he really goes into this. But um, like it is a choice, right? Like Mm -hmm. either we're identifying with the fluctuations in consciousness, with the vrittis, or we can let the seer dwell in its own abode. Like we can actually come from a place of Uh, sovereignty from that inner self that is not identified with all of this stuff. And it's not a spiritual bypass, right? It's not like, oh, I'm just a spiritual being. So all (laughs) of this identity stuff doesn't matter, right? Like we're very much humans Mm -hmm. wrestling with what it is to be in a human experience. Mm -hmm. And that's the non-duality piece, I think, or there's a lot of ways you could look at non-duality. But for me, it's really embracing the non-duality of Prakriti and Purusha. Like we are humans having this very human experience and we are something that is beyond mind and body. We are also just as much um, the vastness of spirit. And it's not either or, like that is not a binary. We're very Mm -hmm. much an interwoven spirit and matter Mm -hmm. um, being. So just like you can't tell, say, like the 24-hour fast food worker, oh, you don't need money to be happy, Um, (laughs) like that would be so violent, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like obviously our our identities and our human experience are a huge part of of, of, of our reality and very important. And that's not the only piece. There's this, there's, there's this other aspect that I think if we can be rooted in spirit, it can actually help us divest from some of the, that social conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting with identity because, so in yoga, right, some uh, people have told this to me before, like, oh, why focus on identity? Yoga is about letting go of our identities and being one with spirit, right? And I think who gets told that? <laughs> it's people who hold a marginalized identity, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, why do you have to make a big deal about being queer or being trans? Like that is just this identity. Like ultimately we are not that. Mm-hmm. And the thing is like, sure, but then we all need to do that work, right? Like how mm-hmm. do you identify as uh, a man or a woman and how does that define you and how does that like, like looking at those attachments, um, it's a practice of Svadhyaya and Aparigraha to look at like, oh, well, how am I kind of really attached to this idea of binary gender, for instance? And how does that give me this definition, this sense of self that is actually a distraction 
from Tadadrashtusvarupeyavastanam. Like, how does that stuff actually, um, Iyengar's words, when the seer identifies with consciousness or with the objects seen, they unite with them and forget their grandeur, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how is that clinging to those identities um, causing me to forget my grandeur, the radiance, mm-hmm. the, the potential that is beyond um, binary gender, that is beyond... Uh, the, you know, all the ways that we hold identity. So it's mm-hmm. not like that stuff is just something we need to feel bad about and try to like push away. It's actually mm-hmm. very rich terrain, especially if we're interested in our own inner freedom mm-hmm. and spiritual connection. And at yeah. the same time, in being a less harmful human, right? And being a more inclusive, welcoming, connected human being. Mm. I think you can use your, we were, I think you can use the way that your body feels in these types of conversations. And when you're disembodied, you know, uh, you avoid it. That's natural. The nervous system's like, this is an unsafe conversation. Mm-hmm. I have to exit, or this is an unsafe thought, or this is not the normal way of being. Um, and again, it's, it, there's, I think that obviously this is so complex, actually, like to even just mention attachment, like attachment is it's just so complex. Um, and, but we can use our nervous system to tell us where we have work to do. It can mm-hmm. be a map to where, whether you want to call it attachment. Um, if you think about it, like it's a strong belief that you inherited and a conditioning that you're afraid to let go of, because then again, the, we're, we'd be absent of our identity. So then we would be nothing, which is Again, spiritually, what we're always trying to run away from, am I nothing? Right. Because that's, right, that's your thought. Like, uh, well, I better fill up because then I'm nothing. So if you get rid of all these inherited childhood beliefs that you, again, you, you didn't choose to have these inherited beliefs. These were given to you, but you can choose now, one, whether you pass them on, which is very important, and two, you know, your own, your own freedom from them and using the nervous system as a guide. Can I sit with this discomfort? Can I breathe into this space? And it's not just in an asana practice. I think that that's really where we've missed the mark. It's like, I can breathe through my handstand. I can breathe through my Urdhva but can I breathe through a conversation on inclusion, race, ethnicity? No, I can't. So now I'm going to avoid it and just say, but we're all one. and realizing we have to, you know, you have to overcome your, not overcome. I I really think actually Swam, my teacher, Swamiji Parthasarthi, you know, you use these equipments to free yourself from the equipment. So if you don't, if you don't know how to use your body very well or your mind, you don't understand its depth, its breadth, its infinite dimension, then you, you won't know how to free yourself or relate to consciousness or associate with consciousness. So it, it's interesting when you started to talk about the nervous system, people avoid that discomfort. But I, I've learned recently, okay, when I'm really uncomfortable, what are my mechanisms? Do I breathe deeper? Do I hold my breath? Oh, this is telling me I'm uncomfortable. And maybe I have some trauma going on in my own being. Maybe I've been forced into these boxes that I wasn't aware of even though I fit in and, right. and you know, I, I fit in, in a lot of ways, but I also have always felt like I fit out, you know, like I don't fit in at all. And so it's, 
it's such an interesting um, way that you're you're presenting this because I find this the most profound spiritual question of how do you embody and then how do you also relate to consciousness and can you hold those two things at the same time? Mm, yeah, amazing life skills, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I want to loop back to something we were talking about before because um, I know we're winding down probably towards the mm-hmm. end of our time. Um, but I wanted to just give listeners a little bit of clarification in case that's useful about what does it mean to be non-binary mm-hmm. um, or like what is gender affirming yoga, right? And, mm-hmm. and so many different folks would probably answer this in a different way because part of being non-binary or for that matter queer is resisting an even an easy definition. Like there's a, there's a pluralism. There are many different ways. There are many equally different good ways um, that this could look. But in general, we have all been uh, deeply socialized to believe that there are two genders and that they're opposites, that they are mutually exclusive. And there are a lot of other binaries that have, um, you know, that, that get stuck in this sort of false binary mm-hmm. that pit them against each other. When in fact, there's a lot of spectrum. There's a lot of blending. There's a lot of, and both, um, with, with all sorts of things, including gender. And right. interestingly, there's been a lot of cool research and books and science and doctors writing about this lately, how our ideas of binary gender have been imposed like a lens, like a, like a colored glasses. So much of science, the way we understand chromosomes, the way we understand um, plants and animals, so much of that has been filtered through this idea of binary gender, but mm. actually is not true, right? Like we've, we have used um, science for so long as a way to back up this idea of binary gender When in fact, if you look at the bigger picture, like if you take off those colored goggles and see the actual bigger picture, it actually proves that no, in fact, binary gender is not a thing, even biologically. So so just for listeners to hopefully get curious, you can look at um, Alok is, of course, amazing visionary on Instagram, does these cool, a lot of cool, like little book report meme things if you're on Instagram. If you haven't completely sworn off Instagram, that's a cool place to go look. Um, But yeah, basically gender is not a fixed binary. There are lots of people and plants and animals (laughs) across all human history and beyond who have not fit into male, female um, categories. And those categories, by the way, are really set up in order to, again, uplift this hierarchy that oppresses, that puts some above others, right? Mm. Like the main function of binary gender on some level is misogyny. Um, And so again, this is like good for us all to interrogate and clear out. And and it's not that we're trying to get rid of gender, like gender is this wide color palette, right? Mm -hmm. Like so fun and so cool, um, unless it's oppressive. (laughs) And so for me, like, Gender has always, from the time I was a kid, it always felt performative, which Judith Butler wrote about, um, of course, in depth. If you want to check, check, check out um, some of the early queer philosophy around gender, but 
um, this idea that gender is a construct and gender is something we perform, but it is not like who we are. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. And yet tricky because when we go out and interact with the world, people very much want to put us in one category and then therefore treat us in a certain way based on which binary gender category. And so if you're, if you don't go into those categories easily, people don't know what to do with you. Right. So if I walk Mm -hmm. into a classroom, um, sort of like in a way that my gender is more honestly expressed, maybe not, but maybe there's going to be this sense of like, Whoa, who's this weirdo, (laughs) you know? Um, and so, yeah, just, just that's, that's my piece that like, on some yeah. level, what does it mean to be non-binary is to have a curiosity of like, who am I beyond gender norms? Mm. Um, I love, yeah, I love yeah. that. It, and I, the, the world is really moving in that, that direction. I mean, we have changed the world and made progress and <laughs> maybe not made progress in a lot of ways um, throughout history, but we can see just the fact that we're having this conversation. Um, there, there is a voice that's arising that's profoundly inclusive. I mean that, that it maybe is, it's not expressing that way in society, but I, going back to what you had started with, which is anti-assimilation that, you know, how the whole movement began was to, to fit us in, to create norms within the outliers and now it's sort of like, okay, well, how do we, I, I think as yoga, yo, people in the yoga industry, I think particularly, cause that's, you know, where we are, but in general in the world, how do we continue to make our, like live the philosophy of yoga, which is, yes, we live in a dualistic world in a lot of ways, but within that, if you look at even Chinese medicine and yin and yang, everything is relative. What is yin? is, you know, yang relative to something that's more yin. And so that, that is how, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's how I've thought of gender now. Like, okay, well, if there's the principle of yin and yang and everything is everything and it's, you know, and they are infinitely divisible, then what is gender? It's something that could be infinitely divisible and people are on a, like you said, it's a colorful spectrum. It is, it's a colorful spectrum of yeah, and it's not be. fixed, right? Right, yeah. It, it becomes fixed. less about like, what is the essential quality of this or that? Mm. And more like, how do these things change? And how do mm. they blend? And right, like how, like we all have, like all the, all the characteristics that might be put into those binary character uh, categories, we have all of those, right? Like, right. of course, men are also going to be sensitive and emotional. Right. Right. Of course, um, people gendered as women can be like decisive and strong and mm. uh, whatever, like all those weird, right. yeah. weird qualities that pin us in in these in these binary gender ways that really hold us back from having this full, gorgeous, joyful, embodied um, whole experience of ourselves. Mm. Like, yeah. let's clear out those limitations, and mm. so if we want to be gender affirming yoga teachers, it's exploring how can we teach yoga in a way that affirms that gender expansiveness for mm. all of our students. Like what ways might we be putting people in boxes that, that don't help at all? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then especially if you have trans and non-binary students in your class, which you may not know because some trans folks, you don't know they're trans. Like they're, mm-hmm. And then others, you know, it's like a really wide range. And again, there's not like a hierarchy, uh, mm-hmm. ideally, in how we treat mm-hmm. people, uh, whether or not they assimilate or whether or not how, however their gender expression fits into what we think should be. Um, um, right. So just to keep that in mind, right? Like you could have trans folks in your yoga class and not realize, yeah. Um, which is why I think, this, we should have this on all the time. But like, what would it be like to be affirming, to be affirming right. for the person who uses they, them, like use their correct mm-hmm. pronouns and don't right. uh, use weird gendered language in class. Like how can you mm-hmm. affirm someone's gender identity um, mm-hmm. rather than the opposite, which yeah. is like no, putting them well, in a box that, that they don't belong in. And that's, um, you know, for listeners, um, Avery's teaching a workshop on, you know, how to be a more inclusive student and teacher. So these, this information, if you want more of this information, definitely take their workshop and, um, it, I, so thought provoking and there's so much more philosophy, you know, when Avery and I first spoke we were like okay we're on the phone for 30 minutes and ended up being like 90 minutes we were both like okay gotta go but there is so much philosophy (laughs) um that you bring to the table so much insight so much I haven't um been to your class yet but I I plan to come um and you know such a such a beautiful way to this into real real tradition which I, I don't know if every teacher can do that, but you definitely do that. And I'm so grateful because um, the first thing that we said to each other was like, we love and respect the tradition of yoga. Now, how do we uh, bring it into modern day and continue to uplift it? Yeah, definitely. I think this work is so part of yoga. It is not, mm-hmm. anti-oppression work is not something separate from yoga, right? Like, right. Even in the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, it's it, right. either you're going to fight injustice or you're going to take non-action, <laughs> which is also an action. Like there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope I hope a bunch of you come. The workshop is going to be so fun. We're going to do some really dynamic, strong um, alignment-based asana. So it's not just going to be like sitting in front of Zoom listening right. at all. We're going to do um, yeah. We'll talk about philosophy. We'll do asana really all through the lens of unpacking and exploring non-binary gender and um, gender liberation and how to create more inclusivity, uh, especially for like queer trans folks, right? It's the perfect thing for Pride Month. Um, Mm. It'll be a really fun exploration. So yeah, I'm just thrilled. I'm really excited to get to play um, with the citizen folks. Thank you. And people reach you. Yeah. So um, if you're on Instagram, you can find me yoga with Avery. My website is yoga with Avery.com. I teach classes. Either you can just sign up for one. You can, I also have like an unlimited subscription. You can try your first class with me for free. I'd love for you to come. The Mm -hmm. coupon code is together. We rise all one word Love it for free. I also have um, some various cool workshops and a couple of retreats coming up if you want to come play with me in Mexico. 
especially if you're looking for an LGBTQ uh, welcoming yoga retreat by the ocean. I'd love to have you come in November. Um, yeah, keep in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking your time and um, to, to talk to everybody. And we will, if you're already listening and it's past June, I'm so sorry. Um, it's June 2021. So don't plan to come June 2022 um, to Avery's <laughs> workshop if you're listening to this podcast um, at a different point in time. Uh, thank you for your insight. You're so profound. And, and it was just it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful conversation. So fun. Yeah. Thank you. I'm filled with joy. Thank you so much, Casey. Oh, you're welcome. 